newborn king. He's the king of kings, isn't he? Amen. He is indeed. Lord, we come before you here this morning just praising you because you thought it it was best not to keep all the glory that you had in heaven and you gave it all up, Lord, to come here so that we could go with you to share it. Oh, Lord, you gave your life as a human being and as a son of God for all of us so that we could see what it's like to live the way God wants us to live. Oh, Lord, may we, as we open your book this morning, may these words that we read, may they make an impression on our heart, Lord, that is forever and ever. Lord, we want to see you more clearly by meeting you in your word. So, Lord, teach us. You be the words that we take and we store as treasure in our hearts forever and ever. And, Lord, it's in your precious name, the name of the Son of God who died for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. You got your Bibles there. Why don't you turn with me to Hebrews 4. And uh, we're going to continue where we have been in Hebrews. Has has you enjoyed reading this? Yeah, Yeah, good. A lot of people don't spend time with Hebrews. It's a hard book because you have to really dig into it and you have to let it get inside of you. And it'll change your life, won't it? We're going to begin in Hebrews 4.14. And we've already said that. Jesus is superior to everything, to Moses, to the angels, which we sang about this morning, we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Jesus is superior to everything because he's the son of God. And because of that, he came here to show us and to lead us into the, the promised rest, which we've talked about. And he said, we can do that. So picking up here in verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. We profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from men among men, and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And I'm going to stop right there. Wow, this priestly thing is not something we really understand, is it? We really don't get it. Um, you know, this week, let me, let me just go off here just a minute. This week, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, President Trump announced that the U.S. Embassy is moving from Tel Aviv back over to Jerusalem. Boy, I tell you what, that opened a can of worms, didn't it? They had a whole lot of people asking this week, so, whoa, that's the city of David where the two temples are built. So does this mean the third temple is going to come soon, and that means the Christ is coming back? Um you know, and then there was just last year, 2016, in September, or in August, I guess it was, that they, for the first time in modern history, they appointed a high priest to go along with all this. Oh, what does that mean? And, and this high priest they chose because he was the expert, the nation, Israel's expert on the temple sacrifices. 
That's what the high priest does. He makes the sacrifices for everybody, right? So they thought the, everybody's thinking, well, those are two landmark events to Christ coming, coming back real soon. If you read this morning's scripture, you're going to find why there's a lot of problems with that. Um, first, God is, has been, and always will be in control of history. <laughs> He's the only one that knows, and his plan is the one that we go by or we, we fall into. Here, no matter what men tell you, mankind cannot make history. You ever heard someone say, I'm going to make history here? That you can't do it. God's the one that makes history. He's the one that's in control. So that ain't going to happen. Um, second, the high priest um, at the third temple has already been appointed. He's alive and he's well and he's sitting in the throne room with God. Understand that? There already is a high priest, the last and final high priest, and that's Jesus Christ. We're going to read about that here this morning. So no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to understand events in history and and kind of conform them to our own reasoning, God's plan will be done. The The third high priest is already there. Kind of slipped past all the Jews, didn't it? They missed it, I think. And they still think they need a temple and a sacrifice. We know better, don't we? Do we? Any amens in here? Did you read Hebrews this week? Uh, yeah. So how did that happen, though? Didn't you always wonder? I have. You know, how could there have been such a long time between when God set up the, the rites, the, the temple, they, they built the temple, and when Christ came, the one who came... Uh, do you think it was because God runs out of power? Nah, to change, to make events or make things happen? I don't think so, do you? You think God was just waiting on the right moment when someone decided to build the temple or decided to do something? You think that was it? Uh-uh. I don't either. I think God really is in control. But you know, there was 2,000 years between uh, Abraham in Genesis 12 and Matthew or Luke or wherever you're reading this morning when Jesus came. But... You think God didn't know about that, didn't set that up? That 2,000-year gap, do you think that wasn't by his design? I believe it was. Matter of fact, just so you know, if you're reading all the Old Testament, I hope you are. If you're reading all the Old Testament along with this, you're keeping it right there open when you're studying Hebrews, you're going to find that, that the whole book of the Old Testament is God ruling, God being in charge of everything that happens. Remember, this is one of my favorite stories. Remember when God revealed to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar his dream to Daniel? You remember what you, you remember what Daniel said? He said he praised the God of heaven and said, "Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning." So. Seems to me then that kings aren't in charge either. The rise and fall of kings are not determined by men or by people or political situations or any of that. God knows everything. He knows what's going on. And he allows those things to happen, doesn't he? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, did you read the rest of that story? You should because he, he kind of says, okay, I'm in charge. And his ego and pride get in the way. And God says, uh-uh, I'm going to show you what it's like, what your pride is like. And he turns him into a guy that had long fingernails and went out and ate grass with all the wild beasts. And he acted really, he was completely brought, the king 
the most powerful country in the world at that time, is brought to his knees out grazing in the pastures like a cuckoo man. So after he was driven, driven crazy with, with pride, the humble ruler came back to his senses because God brought him there. And here's what he said. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Anybody here feel like they're going crazy? Raise your eyes to heaven. By Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony. Let me keep reading. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Ah, God's in control. He was back then. You think he's not in control now? He is, isn't he? He always is. Uh, don't ever think that uh, history was was uh, running its own course or that God was just waiting for something to happen that would allow him to sneak in and make something happen his way. The truth is, God planned for Jesus to come and to die and to give us the grace of forgiveness. God planned that out way ahead of time, even before there was history to manage. Paul wrote to Timothy, his young pastor in training, and he said, Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So God planned the grace of his forgiveness in Christ before creation. God planned the death of Jesus for our sins, and God rules history. So his plans will be done his way. Know that. Uh, But, you know, I confess, I still keep thinking about that. Lord, why'd you wait 2,000 years? You know, what, what, what is that wait all about? You know, couldn't God have sent Jesus after the flood? You know, why did he do it? Why did he wait? Could he could have sent Jesus just about any time, couldn't he? You know, how about when they were in Egypt in bondage and they're crying out, Oh Lord, come visit us, please take us out of this mess. He could have sent Jesus then, didn't he? So why is there such a long delay? Here's the reason, I think, and what I see when I when I read the scripture is that God wanted us to see things done his way, on his terms. By his terms, even using the same language or or, or the same titles or positions in his kingdom so that we understand exactly how God's kingdom runs. I want to know that, don't you? We're going to be living there forever. Here's something else you might be a little bit scared about. Look around you. We're all living there together. (laughs) Better love one another, haven't we? Yeah. Everybody who's come to Christ and accepted him. We're all going to be living together for his glory. I'm looking forward to that. It's important that you keep that Old Testament with you when you're reading Hebrews because this is where we learn the terms and the way that God has been teaching us to know who he is. And he set up these systems. He showed us these systems so that we can know him on his terms, not ours, on his terms. 
Think about this. How, you say you want to share the gospel with someone who's never heard it. There's a lot of them around here. You have a big chance there. You know, and they, so they think that God is what everybody around here has been teaching them. You know, he's a, I don't know what they think. I, I do. I hear so much different things. But how about if someone didn't know that God is pure and perfect and we can't be in his presence? There's no way that God can come in here and, and his children, us, that he made, that he created for his glory and to fellowship with him forever. And here we are all sin stained. Do you know that a pure and holy God cannot sit in the presence of sin? How are we ever going to do that? Now, if you tell that to someone, all you have to do is just raise your hand, pray this prayer, begin to get all the words right here, and then boom, you're in. Here's a right hand of Christian fellowship and left hand full of envelopes and a big hug. Doesn't work that way, does it? Not the way God set it up. Not the way he set up his system at all. How could you explain that God created the world and that the world fell into sin and that God gave us a law to obey and we blew it? We disobeyed. We turned away from it. And but so he set up this system of priests and, and, and sacrifices and prophets and kings to appease him. Some of those sacrifices even had life blood of animals in it just to kind of substitute. So you can't really explain it without knowing that, can you? Or knowing that at least in your heart, in your head. So if you try to skip the Old Testament and understand Jesus with your own perspective, without the biblical historical context and terms that are right here in this book, then you might think of him as something that he isn't. You know, I've heard preachers preach and say, oh, he makes a great defense attorney. If you knew lawyers like I knew lawyers, I'm sorry. You know, they think of him as a great defense attorney or maybe even a superhero. There's actually been some things up on the Internet that shows Jesus being some kind of superhero. <laughs> no man-made description of Jesus Christ can show the true and deep and of authoritative and helpful description of God is the titles and descriptions that are in this book. That's why we need to understand them. One of those Old Testament descriptions for understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do is in our Hebrew passages today. It's the title and the work and the office of the high priest. Now, I bet you knew what a high priest was, didn't you? Well, let's look at this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You know, up until August of 2016, um, there were no high priests um, for modern times anyway in Israel. And the description for the understanding Jesus is really difficult for us to understand. See, they, they took someone that they, they don't even understand to become their high priest in August 2016. He was an expert in temple sacrifices. He didn't even have a temple. But he, he said they're so complicated that only the high priest can really understand them and execute it all right. But God planned centuries of history in Israel recorded in the Old Testament so that we might have a, a center for understanding this work and his title and what he's been appointed to do. 
So I think it's really important we go to God's Word to figure it out, don't you? I don't think he gave this book um, for us not to understand. There's a lot of it I don't understand, so maybe someone can raise their hand and help me. Um, Yeah, thank you. We're working on that together, aren't we? That's a great thing to do. Um, It's really wrong, I think, to try to explain this in our culture and in our cultural terms because we're going to miss 4,000 years or 2,000 years of biblical writing right here. So what we need to do before we jump to contemporary analogies of the high priest or Christ or whoever he is is that we need to go back to God's context of what he gave us here in history. And we're going to learn, tell you what, we're going to learn some really deep and some wonderful things about who Jesus Christ really is that you may not have known before. Oh, um, keep your Bibles open. You see, our, our, our history as human beings, even in the 21st century where we're all so, so far advanced, right, is way too shallow compared to what God teaches us right here in this book. It's totally unsophisticated. The book of Hebrews is really tough. It's tough reading sometimes. Anybody here had just kind of skimmed through it and learned it, got it all? No, you have to really go back and know really what God's saying. You know, one thing, I'm going to do this quickly. One thing we have been doing in our uh, meetings during the week is that we've been praying through the Bible. And this Wednesday night, we took one verse in Proverbs. I don't know how long we, we prayed, maybe, I don't know how long, I didn't time it, maybe an hour. Just on one verse, because when you stop and you pray to God and you meditate on it, you're going to learn what he's really saying. And it, and it penetrates your heart, and it becomes a treasure, what David wrote, in your heart that you carry with you forever. So this book may be hard to read, but I, I challenge you, take it. Go and find a closet somewhere and read and remove all the distractions. You can do that. I know you think you can't, but you can. And just read it and say, Lord, you speak to me. And he will. When we read this book of Hebrews, it is hard to understand in our terms, in our context, our cultural context. But i got to tell you how sweet it is to know the riches of seeing Jesus the way that God designed us to see him. You know what? When you get to it, I've said this before. I find Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. Now, you think I'm crazy, man, don't you? Let me read you something that Jesus said. And he said this to the Pharisees, Jesus himself preaching to them. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think, uh, you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. All the Old Testament testifies about Jesus Christ. So if you read the whole thing, you're going to see God's plan to bring us back to him, alive in him. So there, that is confirmed by Jesus' own lips. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. God was guiding the history of Israel as a backdrop to help us make sense out of the coming Jesus. And the Old Testament is crucial background for going deep with the work of Jesus. Hebrews 5, 1 and 3 gives us a little glimpse of who the high priests were in the Old Testament religious life. And verse 1 says that high priests came from among men and were appointed on behalf of the people to offer gifts and sacrifices to God for sins. Did you get that? Appointed by men. Hmm. 
A whole world of meanings open up here, isn't it, for you and me? One, there's a God. Two, there's sin. And this sin has created a barrier between man and God because God can't, can't be in the presence of sin. But God has made a way. He's made a way to reconcile his people to himself. He's ordained that there be human priests. This is the way he said, listen to this, human priests who would be a go-between, kind of one that would just pierce that barrier even if it was just for a little while, and that these priests would offer sacrifices. Uh, And there would be the shedding of blood because back in Old Testament he says life is in the blood. So that life was actually sacrificed to God to please him. Yeah, so he wouldn't pour out his wrath on us. And it's kind of an animal substitute for a sinner. And God would look on this lifeblood sacrifice and turn his anger away from the people's sins. Turn away for just a little while. Still there, isn't it? Sin stained. There were some inadequacies built into this. Uh, Hebrews 5.3 tells us that the high priest was himself a sinner, just like you and me. Now, what does that mean? That means that when he goes in there, he has sins himself. He has to confess his own sins, doesn't he? And you know what? He couldn't be in there very long. He's, 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 he's uh, confessing the sins of the whole nation and himself. Couldn't get out of there with that. And that means he had to, his, limit, his offering would be limited. It would be imperfect, wouldn't it? Couldn't do all that at once. And you know what? His time in there was really short. Matter of fact, I think I always thought this was funny. They'd tie a rope around him in case he passed out or got nuked or fainted or something like that in there. And they tied little bells around his, his, the bottom of his rope. So as long as they heard the bells ringing, they knew he was still alive and he's okay. Don't pull the rope yet. You know, so so here, here's the, the priest. His time is limited. He really can't do everything he's supposed to do. And then here's the worst part. He's a mortal human being just like you and me. Someday he's going to die. That means he couldn't be high priest anymore. Who's going to do the offerings then? They're going to have to go and recruit someone else that wants to go through all that. So the whole history of Israel shows the inadequacies of man before God. We have to keep trying though, right? And here's the thing. Even those sacrifices that the priest made that were inadequate, um, they all pointed to Jesus Christ. How? Um, they took a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. And they sacrificed it for the sins of the people. That's exactly who Jesus is, right? Everything pointed to Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect and the complete fulfillment of the priesthood. Jesus is. Did you ever think about that? He's not only the high priest, but he is also the sacrifice itself. So let's look at this just a minute. You got your Bibles there open to 4 or 14. And here's the thing. It's going to tell us about our perfect final high priest, which is already there, and what difference he makes in our 21st century lives. Here's something that verse 14 tells us. These are truths you can count on. They're in God's word. Jesus, our high priest, is alive. Didn't die. Actually, he did. 
but he but he's alive today, isn't he? He overcame death itself. So he didn't have to worry about that anymore. And he's with God above the heavens. And he is the son of God. Be hard to turn down that offering, wouldn't it? That high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Whoa. And like all the, unlike all the other high priests uh, that ever lived and died, Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. He lives again. He's alive today. You know what that tells me? The Old Testament order of the priesthood is finished. No more. Don't need it anymore, do we? Jews missed that one, didn't they? Missed the Messiah. You already have a high priest. Don't need one anymore. And this one doesn't die. His, 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 his uh, priesthood, according to Hebrews seven sixteen, is based on the on an indestructible life. So we have a priest, and he's alive, and he serves where no other priest ever has. See, they always built him the temple. And you know what? That temple kept getting destroyed, didn't it? Jesus serves right now, today, in heaven, in the presence of God. That temple's not going to get torn down at all. But man, is it not going to get torn down at all? Um, he has gone through the heavens. You know, I read that part. Do you remember back when in Acts 1-9 when Jesus ascended into heaven? This is exactly what it's saying, isn't it? Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. Our, our high priest has passed through the heavens, it says, and he's with God. Before Christ, the holiest place of all was the tabernacle. You know, I told you that. You couldn't even go in there without getting nuked. And, you know, matter of fact, that, that priest, what I didn't tell you is that the priest actually had to be prepared all year they prepared. And, and by the way, that's the only place we find mandatory. We find retirement in the Bible. He had to retire at the age of 50. Uh, couldn't make it past 50 um, in doing that kind of work. He prepared all year. And then the week before few days before he went through these special sacrificial cleansing rites so that he could take it as he went into the temple but our our high priest today dwells in that environment where man couldn't last very long at all all the time jesus never takes a vacation pleading for you and me forever and ever he's there eternally Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus Christ is interceding for you, right? If you're a believer and you've let Christ into your life and made him Lord of your life, you received him as Lord. Your Lord is interceding for you right now, and he will forever and ever. He never leaves you, and he never forsakes you. He is with you. He says that later on in Hebrews. So our high priest is the son of God. He wasn't a mere human exalted to this heavenly place, you know, and giving him some sort of high position with man. He's the divine son of God. As a matter of fact, if we go back to Hebrews 1, 8, it actually says that he's the one who created there. He was there at creation, and he's there now. He takes his own precious blood, the blood of the son of God, and when God the Father sees it, he sees this sacrifice. It's the only one that could appease him, right? You know what I thank God? I thank God 
Here's Jesus' testimony. When he died on the cross, he looks at that death and he says, to tell us die. It is finished. It is completed. I'm satisfied. Only Jesus. He's the only one that could, could be there for our sins, right? He says, you know what? My glory is exalted. Think about that. And he overlooks the punished sins that you and I have and counts me as his innocent child as he loves us above all. He loved, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Our high priest is alive now and forevermore, sitting at the right hand of God in the holiest of all places, and he's God's own son pleading for you and me as, our, as brothers and sisters with him. And in spite of how high our, our high priest is, remember that. He's alive forever in the presence of God and the Son of God. We find some really important truths in verse 15. I want you to look at this with me. He was tempted in every, in all kinds of ways. You know, you think you're, you're tempted and you can't handle it. Mm-mm. Jesus has already been there. He's already done that. And he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and he's pleading for you before God. He never gave in and he never sinned the whole time he was here. So you know what? That makes him a better he can understand our temptations better than anybody. And he knows and he completely understands our weaknesses because he was one of us. He experiences those weaknesses too. And he knows them even better than you and I do because he overcame them. We haven't. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Um, one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. I, I like C.S. Lewis because his mind is so keen, um, the way he reasons. He, he did a little exercise. You're not going to find this, I don't think, in any of his books. I actually found this in a, at a quote site, C.S. Lewis quote site, but it's one of my favorites. He, he made this up. He, so it, it's um, kind of a he said, if Jesus never, he said, someone is complaining about Jesus. He didn't know my sins. He didn't know my temptations. He didn't live in the 21st century, or in his case, the 20th century. Then he doesn't know what temptation is like. Not in our modern world. Jesus couldn't know that. He lived a sheltered life. You know what? He was a, uh, and he's out of touch with how strong temptation can be. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote back to his imaginary complainer. He says, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Yeah, is that you and me? And it's a, a man who gives in to the temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it, what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a life, they have lived a shelter life by always giving in. <laughs> That's a way of twisting it, isn't it? Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Hmm. Do I need to read that again? Pretty powerful, isn't it? 
Jesus can sympathize with us in our pain and our dying because he experienced it all. There's nothing he hasn't experienced. You think he hasn't experienced your temptation? Wrong. He did. Matter of fact, I believe that Jesus was tempted 24-7, just like us. He just never gave in, and he never sinned. Jesus understands our battle. He gets it. He fought it all the way to the end, and he won. I don't know about you, but I've, I've already lost a few, you know, but I know he's forgiven me. And I turn to him, and he's forgiven me. And he says, you know what? Here we go. We keep right on going. You experience the goodness, his goodness, his righteousness. I'd rather become an expert in that, wouldn't you? I'd rather practice that than anything. You know, so here's the thing. When you fall into temptation, when you fail and you fall, Jesus doesn't sit there and roll his eyes. He didn't do that. He's already been there. He's already done that. He says, get up, my child. Let's keep going. You look to me. You have to turn to him, and he'll take you. So what does all this mean to us in the 21st century? We kind of said a few things here. Here it is. Because he is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. Do you believe that he's alive today in your life? Yeah, do you know that he walks with you? He sees everything that you do. He knows everything that you do. He knows your temptations. He's had them himself. But he knows how to walk through them and to not give in. Because he's with the presence of God, he's alive, and he is the sacrifice of the blood of the Son of God and full of sympathy for his people. Here's one thing we can know. Now, this is not in our scripture this morning, but you can find it right there on, on the page. Look up at, at verse 14. He says, here's what we can do, knowing that. Let us hold firmly to our faith we profess. And then, I'm sorry, that is in ours, isn't it? And then let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. You know, I, if I was going to title this sermon, I, I titled it, Boldly draw near to the throne of God. No, I would say boldly go where only one man has gone before. That's Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. You know, um, Jesus Christ has gone before us. And we belong to him, don't we? You know what? If you look back over in 1023, it says that this is our unshakable confidence. This is our unshakable confession. Um and this is how we get to our final rest and joy is with him. So hold firmly to that because you have a great high priest. Some so here, I think, may be thinking, okay, I'm, I'm holding on, but I'm losing my grip. And there's no amens in here this morning. Nobody can say, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm hanging on. But, boy, it seems like it's all I'm about to let go. You can hold on. You know why? Because Christ is with you. He, he's not going to leave you. And you know why? He is also the one that you have pleading your case before God the Father, the one who judges and pours out his sin on everybody. Who is not does not belong to him, whose sins he can see. Here's another thing. He's the son of God. If you believe him and he is Lord of your life, then let me tell you something. In this world, it's going to hurt, but i got to tell you, forever and ever, he's going to give you joy beginning today when you come to him and when you obey him.
So, you know what? Hold on and hold on firmly. And you can boldly, then what do you do? You boldly go to the throne of God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what? If you hadn't heard anything else here this morning, anything else that I said, listen to this. It's important. It's incredibly important. Every one of us, without exception in this room, needs help. Anybody disagree with that? We have needs. Every one of us has needs. And we have weaknesses. And we have confusion. God didn't give us that. We have limitations of all kinds. We need help. Um, Every one of us has something else, too. We have sin. At the bottom of our hearts, we we all know we don't deserve the help. None of us do, do we? So, we're trapped. You feel trapped? Sometimes, some of us do. Sometimes we do. I need to leave my, my, personally, I need to live my life and, and to handle problems that I have. You know, to cope with my family. You know, my family here, my family there. To cope with death. It's going to happen here one of these days. I need help to live my life the way that Christ leads me and wants me to. And I have to deal with my spouse. I love dealing with my spouse, you know, but everybody, I'm, I'm talking about everybody here. I enjoy dealing with mine. Um, my children, you know, there's some of us here who live in a lot of loneliness. Need help with that? You feel alone? Yeah. Or my job, my health, my finance, you know, I need help. But I don't deserve the help I need. Anybody here tracking with me? So what can I do? You know, here's, here's a couple of things we can do. You can deny it, and you become the Superman, like you see Jesus, you know, pictured in, in some sort of comic book or something. I'm going to become a Superman, and I'm going to overcome it all myself. I'm strong. I can do it, right? Or Superwoman. I can do all this myself. I don't need any help. I don't want anybody else's help. I'm, I'm strong enough to do it. Or... I can say, you know what, maybe I'm not strong enough, so I'm going to take it and I'm just going to drown it in the world. There's so many th- things that are offered to us, you know, drugs and, and whatever you, whatever the, the sin, of your, your sin of your choice, the choice of your sin is. You know, we can just go get lost in it. I can just kind of drown it in booze or I can just drown it in something out there and some of the, the pleasures of life, which are all temporal, are they not? Mm-hmm. Or I can simply give in to it, and then I really am trapped. I'm paralyzed, aren't I? Because I can't move. I can't move with God. (laughs) But God says, don't do it. You have a way out of this hopeless condition that you think you might be in. Jesus Christ became a high priest that intercedes between you and God now. He gives you all the strength you need. In all the everything you need to be found in him, he gives you, but you have to place your faith in him. It's all about faith in Christ.
and what he can do. He's already proven to you that he can. He overcame death. Is that not enough? He came here and he loved the perfect son of God. Died and says, die with me to this world and rise to new life as a new creature in him. He makes that offer to everybody who's here. And he's already overcome death, hasn't he? He's overcome the whole world, he says. So humble yourselves. Fall before him. No, die to yourselves. So, yeah, we need help. We all need a lot of help, don't we? And none of us deserves the help that we need. So say no to that despair. Say no to the drowning. Say no to the, to the world around you that wants to drag you in. Say no to just giving up and turn to Jesus. He will, I'll say, I'll promise you, my life is proof of that. But let me tell you what, I don't have to, you don't have to take my word. Take God's word. He promises you that he will come in and he will take your life. You make him Lord of it. And he'll lead you to the rest that he promises earlier in Hebrews. So, see, you're really not trapped. Just say no to that lie. The things that you know are not true that are dragging you in. You can have it right now and you can have it forever. You can have Jesus Christ. If you receive and trust in your high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, you can draw near to the throne of God through him. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning as our great high priest, as the one who offers himself, his perfect self, to God the Father, the Son of God, laying himself out to die for us. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning that you'll forgive us when we fail and we don't look to you. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us when we decide to just drown all of our agony that we think we have in the world and just let the world have us. Oh, Lord, we don't want to give in to the world. We want you to be Lord of our life always. So, Lord, I pray if there's any heart here this morning that's never given their life, made you Lord of their life, that this morning will be the day that they do that. And, Lord, for those of us who know you and have confessed you as Lord and come to you and return to you, oh, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you'll give us your peace and your healing Thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and for your glory and the glory of God.